Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here. Thank you for joining us for a few moments as we take a look at the book. This time, we're going to be looking at clear and present dangers that confront us today in our world. By the way, that's the title of a five-hour audio series on CD that is available for you to purchase and then study with me on this subject. There are five different clear and present dangers. Today, we're going to be thinking about the global threat of Islam. It is indeed a clear and present danger. We'll have our Bible study, and then I'll come back and tell you how you can purchase your own copy of the five-hour audio series on CD, Clear and Present Danger. But right now, let's think about the global threat of Islam. Okay, take your Bibles, if you will. Turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 16. Genesis, chapter 16. We're going to get into our study. I have to have my three mic stands, of course, in order for you to get an idea. These three mic stands represent the three main events in God's calendar of activities in the future. And so we'll be sharing with you a moment or two from now about those. Let me read for you, if you will, a quote as we begin. Our series this week has been clear and present dangers. And we have been talking about issues confronting society today that are absolutely clear and present dangers. For example, the fight against creation, attacking the authority, the authenticity, the accuracy, the absoluteness of the Bible. The fight against creation was our first time together. And then we talked about Satan's replacement theology. Should Satan not be able to divert you away from the truth of creation? And then he will institute a theology a replacement theology that was the exact same theology that brought the nation of Germany to the point where they allowed six million Jews to be killed. And they were guilty of one thing, they were Jewish. The theology that was wrong, a replacement theology. Yesterday we talked about the preparations for ecclesiastical Babylon and how some of the movements very prevalent in so-called Christendom today And this communication monster that is developing, so-called Christian media, how it's going to play a key role in bringing together all the elements for that false church found in Revelation chapter 17, Ecclesiastical Babylon. The preparations have been made. This morning, we want to think with you about Islam's global threat. We have a president who embraces to some extent, the Islamic faith. Most recently at Ramadan, which is a 30-day fast period for the Islamic world, when they celebrate the giving of the Quran, which is the holy book in the Islamic faith, they celebrate that for a 30-day period of time by fasting throughout the entire daylight hours and then feasting in the evening. Our own president brought 30 highly ranked Muslim clerics into the White House. They had a Ramadan meal after uh, the sundown, and they celebrated the holy month of Ramadan in the Islamic faith. That celebration of Ramadan is in the face of our Bible. 
because one of the doctrines that I'll be speaking about in just a moment is the doctrine of abrogation, which basically destroys our Bible. But I want to read three quotes to you uh, that may help us begin our thinking together. Islam radicals are pursuing the systematic annihilation of all non-Muslims. Civilization faces a mortal threat from Muslims, and they have plans to create a worldwide kingdom. And the last quote, the world no longer faces isolated acts of terrorism, but a concerted effort and a program by a global Islamic network bent on slaughter, perhaps with nuclear weapons. Man, what prophecy teacher said that? Oh, no, excuse me, it wasn't a prophecy teacher. President Vladimir Putin of Russia. Making a statement before the European Union in Brussels, Belgium. We face a global Islamic threat. We need to understand who the enemy is. Any military genius will tell us we have got to name the enemy before you're ever going to be able to defeat the enemy. 9-11 opened up Pandora's box. The genie escaped. Never, never, listen to me, never to be placed back in that box again. If you have the book of Genesis, chapter 16, I want to spend a few moments with you thinking together about the Islamic global threat. Now, in chapter 16 of the book of Genesis, we see an individual who is going to come on the scene. And continually, as I travel around the world speaking in conferences, local churches, wherever God will open up an opportunity for me. Somebody said to me the other day, Jimmy, how many people do we have to have before you'll come and speak to us? I said, two, and I'll be one of them. Just get them over here, man. You know, wherever the Lord will open up an opportunity, I want to go with an urgent message of the times in which we're living. And as I travel around, I have become somewhat depressed to hear people tell me what the problem is. Basically, in the Middle East, it is a problem between Ishmael and Isaac. They continually tell me that. From the loins of Isaac would come Jacob, and Jacob the twelve sons, and thus the twelve tribes of Israel, and thus the nation of Israel. And then they always come back with a caveat, and from Ishmael comes the other element that is the conflict in our world, the Arab world. Well, I, I'm not sure that's biblically correct. And so let's spend a few moments, if you will, with me right now looking at Ishmael's descendants. We need to understand not only to name the enemy, but who the enemy really is. And so let's see what God's word has to say. Is indeed Ishmael the father of the Arab world that is causing all the problems? Or should we say who they were not, the descendants of Ishmael, who they were not. Notice what it says in chapter 16, and this is the record of how Sarai, 
and Abram go against the plan of God, trying to manipulate God or play God themselves on the earth. But I want to show you from the very outset that any thought pattern that would tell you that Ishmael was the father of the Arab world is going to be pretty much damaged in the very first verse of chapter 16. Notice what it says. Now, Syria, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaiden, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. Uh-oh. If Ishmael was the father of the Arab world, that means he would have to have his mother. Now, I'm not a medical doctor. I got a PhD, but I don't have an MD. I'm sure there's some medical doctors or people qualified in medicine here, but the best I understand, if I remember correctly, it's impossible for a son to father his mother. And so Ishmael was not the father of least of Egypt. His mother, Hagar, was an Egyptian handmaiden. Let's see who the descendants of Ishmael were not. Go back to Genesis chapter 10 just a moment. We'll come back to chapter 16. Genesis chapter 10, Genesis 9, 10, and 11. Remember, uh, throughout these sessions together, I have been teaching you that we need to understand Genesis. You'll notice how many references and times I go back to Genesis chapters 1 to 12. Genesis 1, creation, 2, the special effects of creation, 3, the fall of man, story, the, uh, 4, the story of Cain and Abel, 5, a genealogy, 6, 7, and 8, Noah and the flood, Genesis chapter 9, Noah after the flood, chapter 10, a genealogy, chapter 11, the tower of Babel, chapter 12, the call of Abraham out of Ur of the counties. Now, I just said Genesis chapter 10 is, first of all, positioned in time after the flood, and number two, it is a genealogy. Sometimes we don't want to look and study genealogies. It's so terribly difficult to try to work through a genealogy, but you can learn something. Notice what it says in chapter 10, verse 1. Now, these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, and unto them were sons born after the flood. Skip over to verse 6. Let's slip over Jepheth and look at Ham. Verse 6, and the sons of Ham, Cush, and Miseram, and Put. Now, let me tell you who those people are. Cush. And by the way, there's a hermeneutical principle in biblical geography. Who was the author writing about when he wrote the book? Where were they located? What group of peoples or what nations would they be today? Let me tell you who Cush is. Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan. That's who Cush was. Miseram, Egypt, Put, Libya. Wait a minute. Chapter 10 is at least 500 years before chapter 16. Before Ishmael is ever born, Somalia, Ethiopia, Sudan, Libya, Egypt were already on the scene. Looks like he didn't father them. Let's follow down here in verse 8. And Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one on the earth. Verse 10, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Babel in Mesopotamia, between the two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates and the plains of Shinar, that's modern-day Iraq. It's in existence 500 years before Ishmael comes on the scene. I could continue on here if we continued and spent the time studying in detail Genesis chapter 10, and we would see Ishmael was not the father of those nations that are 
quote, quote, Arab nations today. Thank you so very much for joining us as we've had an opportunity to take a look at the book. I want to remind you that everything we study prophetically seems to be indicating we are quickly approaching the time of the return of Jesus Christ when he comes back to the earth, touching down on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. But remember, at least seven years before he comes back, and that seems to be very close at hand, but before that, the rapture of the church takes place when Jesus shouts, the archangel shouts, the trumpet God sounds, and you and I that know Christ as Lord and Savior are caught up to be with him forevermore. You know, that could happen at any moment. There is not one prophecy that has to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. I want to remind you, you can get your copy of Clear and Present Danger. Call our toll-free number, 877-674-3298, or go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and make your order there. And as you study, you'll know the rapture is very close at hand. In fact, it's so close, I do believe, there's nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until.